Hello and welcome to the PR department podcast. You're through to your host Katie Braden and this is episode 46. Um, Welcome, welcome. Uh, This is the second time recording this episode because my brain just isn't working and I kept recording clips and I was like, that makes no sense. Like, what am I talking about? So we're starting fresh. We're starting fresh. Um, So before we get into the topic of today's episode, I just wanted to talk really quickly about a podcast that I was watching last night. Um, It was the Jay Shetty podcast, which I like, but I have to be in the mood for. Like sometimes I can find it a little bit boring, um, depending on the guest. And um, they were speaking to Rick Rubin, uh, who is a really prevalent music producer. And I've kind of heard some like Rick Rubin stuff before, but I've never really got into it. And honestly, watching that podcast was amazing. Like I was watching it at like eight, nine o'clock last night. And I had to pause it and like go and grab my notepad because I was like, there are so many gems in this that I want to remember. And Rick also has a book out, um, which I've just ordered and I'm going to read. So if it's good, I will tell you. Um, And it really sort of, it didn't resonate with me last night. And it wasn't until I sat down to record the podcast this morning that this message really um, sort of resonated with me. And that is that um, you can do things and you can do projects without getting anything out of them. And that is creative work. Um, Because I always have this back and forth. Like I'm a very as you know, if you listen to my podcast, I'm very organized, I'm very like strategy driven, I'm very scheduled, like I'm really good at managing my time and making sure that everything that I do has like meaning and purpose, Um, like I'm not the type of person who does things for other people's benefits, like I'm very good at like, as selfish as that sounds, like doing things that only really benefit me and my business and that's how I'm able to sort of pack so much in because I'm quite selfish with my time um but when it comes to this podcast like I get the odd message every now and then of people who listen and they say you know I love your podcast blah 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 but because on a podcast obviously you have the beauty of basically just making this thing putting it out and then getting like you don't get comments on it you know there's no like commentary you just put it out and that's it and because you know this podcast is relatively small like it has quite a niche audience like you don't get overwhelming responses to the podcast so it kind of like you make this thing you put it out and then it just exists in the world and that's that um And there's always this thing in the back of my head, like, why am I spending time on this podcast? Like, it's not making me any money. I don't know if people are really listening to it or if it's just my friends. Like, you do have this kind of, do I, don't I? Like, how long do you carry on doing something if it's not, like, bursting into being like a record-breaking podcast but listening to Rick Rubin speak I sort of realized that it's really healthy and quite a positive to do things that don't necessarily have an outcome like you can do things and not expect anything in return and for me I think that 
this is what this is. Um, I'm kind of thinking and speaking at the same time here, so excuse the ramblings, but I thought maybe this is interesting because I think it'll apply to you guys and maybe some projects that you have in your own life um, where you know, we have, we live in the society now where people blow up overnight. Like, let's look at like Tube Girl, for example, who literally was filming herself on the tube. And now she's like literally everywhere, like collaborating with like celebrities. She's at every fashion show. And it's literally happened in the space of like under a month. Um, And she's huge, huge. So I think when you put out content or like a creative thing, and it doesn't sort of have that level of like blowing up. You instantly assume that it's not useful or it's failed, but that's actually not true. Like putting out these creative things and making something and put it out in the world just for the purpose of making it and putting it out is enough. Like you don't need to have advertisers. You don't need to monetize it. Like sometimes just doing the thing is enough. And I thought that that message was really, really beautiful and when I was listening to it that last night I didn't apply it to the podcast until I sat down this morning and I was like this is a thing that is really important for me to do and to create and to put out and I can't measure it on what I get in return and it's absolutely fine if I don't get anything in return um yeah because when you do something like this you're kind of like how long do I keep this going? Like, should I be doing this? Could I be using my time better? Should I be more productive? Blah, blah, blah. You know, all those voices that sort of sound off in our heads. But yeah, I just wanted to share that thought. Um, He also said something, and this isn't going to be like a Rick Rubin episode, (laughs) although that would be great. Um, He also said something that really resonated with me. Um, and that was you either live as an artist or you don't live as an artist and that is just the most amazing statement and what he meant by that is if you live as a monk for example like you just live as a monk there's no being a good monk or a bad monk like you just are a monk and it's the same thing with you can live a creative life, you can be an artist and there's no like, oh, maybe I'm not good enough at art or I'm not creative enough to live an artistic life. Like you can just live that life. And I thought <laughs> that was just like the most simple and profound statement. But anyway, I hope those little tidbits were useful and maybe thought provoking to start the podcast today. Um, that has nothing to do with the the title of the episode at all um it was just something that was on my brain and I thought maybe I would share it so on to the topic of today's episode which is a funny one because it sprung to my mind when I was actually watching um I think it was so Zoe Haig is Molly May's sister and she does some content and I think I'd put on like a Q&A of her doing something on YouTube with Molly sort of in the background and they got talking about something and it sparked an idea for me and it was just the language that they were using um, and I made a note of this sort of thought that I'd had in my podcast notes and I thought oh maybe that's an interesting topic and then as days went by I was like no like the connection's not strong enough like I don't think 
like I don't think my own point that I've made is valid I'm not going to do it and then literally two days ago Robert Welsh put um an Instagram story basically making the same comparison and saying the same thing and I was like no do you know what maybe this is interesting I feel like we're on the verge of this becoming like a common topic so I'm going to talk about it and that is that the influencer industry is (laughs) moving into MLM territory and when I said this to a client the other day um they thought I said M&M as in the sweets and that's not what I mean. (laughs) It's MLM, which is a multi-level marketing company, which is the same thing as a pyramid scheme, which are, um, I'm pretty sure, illegal in the UK, but they are massive in other parts of the world um, and also massive online. And I'm always quite surprised because not many people know how MLMs work um, and what companies are MLMs and they don't know how to spot them. Obviously, like that's not really something that you would practice day to day but I'm always quite surprised when I'm like oh it's an MLM and they're like what's an MLM so let's start off by clarifying what an MLM actually is and then I'll show you how I've arrived at this comparison in terms of the way that the influencer industry is going okay so I found this really um, interesting comparison where it basically lists the differences between multi-level marketing companies and standard companies so it'll help you to understand how they differ and also why they're perceived as bad so in a multi-level marketing company the main thing is that the money flows up from the bottom to the top so there's people at the top of the pyramid they earn the most money and there's fewer of them people at the bottom of the pyramid they earn the least amount of money and there's more of them hence the pyramid shape so keep the pyramid shape in mind so the money flows from the bottom so the people who earn the least money and there's the most of them up to the top whereas in a standard company money generally flows from the top down so profit is shared as opposed to the money flowing up. So it's sort of an opposite trajectory. Um, So the primary goal of a multi-level marketing company is to recruit other people and they sell the opportunity. Um, So a primary goal in a standard company sort of to oppose it is to achieve like a vision, a mission, um, you know, selling a product. Whereas multi-level marketing companies, they do sell products, but the products are sort of the last thing that's important. The most thing, the most important thing is to sell the opportunity. Hence why you see a lot of like single mums who are looking for like flexible working or working from home, people who want to travel, you know, people who want that like digital nomadic flexible working life which before covid people were desperate for and there were very minimal opportunities for now it's a little bit different you know we have a lot of online and um what's it called when you're like split between working from the office and home hybrid working you know that wasn't a thing before covid so people were really looking to these multi-level marketing companies for that freedom you know mums with young kids they need to stay at home but they want to earn some money it was kind of targeting those kinds of people, again, selling the opportunity. Um, So the main thing in multi-level marketing is that the independent contractors, so the people who work for the multi-level marketing company, are the main customers. And I know that that's quite 
difficult to understand. But from a standard company, obviously, we know that customers come from outside the company, not within the company. Like, if I'm working for a client, like, yes, I might buy their products, but I'm not going to be their main customer. Like, their main customer obviously comes from outside. But in MLMs, that's not how it works. The main customer, the people who work for the company, and how that works is, for example, there's an MLM in America and they're focused on like leggings and sportswear. So let's just use that as an example. So if I want to join this MLM, I will find like a person who works for the MLM and they will recruit me to work under them, hence the pyramid, um, to sell these leggings, right? And they will bring me in, they'll recruit me yada 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 and then I'll come in and to come in and join the MLM I'll have to purchase myself for example $500 of stock so I've then got $500 of stock that I have to sell so this is kind of where it all goes wrong because if I've got $500 worth of leggings to sell and I'm like a single mum working from home like who on earth am I selling to? I've got no sales experience. I've got no marketing experience. I've got no social media presence. I've got no following. So these like quite normal people who are joining these MLMs and are sold this dream of like, you can just sell to whatever. Like they are then stuck with $500 worth of leggings that they have to do something with, which then often ends up with people falling into debt, you know, all sorts of financial issues because they've sort of bought into this company that is essentially set up for them to fail. But that's what it means when it says that most of the customers of the MLMs come from within the company because they're buying these like large portions of stock and they're basically like betting on you failing because then you've just bought a load of stuff. And that happens over and over and over and over again. Um, So... I've got a stat here which says that 99% of the independent contractors, so the people who work for the MLMs, spend more than they then earn in their commission. So hence where, you know, the money's going into the company, but it's not coming back to the person who's working for the company, as opposed to a standard company where all employees will receive a salary. You know, you can see the difference. Like when you compare it to a normal company, you can see like how kind of wrong it all is and how exploitative it is um so the products are usually really overpriced to to cover the commission structure as opposed to like products and services based on the value of the products and service so again it's an even harder sell because it's an inflated price to cover basically their own commission um and then the products just don't really compete if they were sold in the marketplace whereas in a normal company products and services must be innovative to succeed in the marketplace so like these leggings that you've bought will be like terrible leggings which makes it even harder to sell and it makes it even harder to convert people into repeat custom because they're not very good so you basically are scamming someone into purchasing a pair of leggings that are terrible and then they never come back and sell to you again so you're constantly having to find new people to sell to all the time to make your commission on your $500 that you've invested into these leggings yeah so that's an MLM that's how it works. So 
every single person who's recruited comes in under someone hence the pyramid structure and the person at the top is obviously making the most money so it's a recruitment scheme essentially and the thing about MLMs and I want to come back to where I was talking about selling the opportunity and targeting people who want that lifestyle the people at the top of the pyramid are really, really flashy about it traditionally. So they will go out of their way to show this like really extravagant lifestyle with lots of luxuries and like crazy holidays and show them traveling all the time and have all this designer gear and like go into all these amazing places and having all this money, like a really quote unquote aspirational by tradition life. Um, And then they have these really like wild conferences where it's really luxe and they do it in a resort and everybody flies out and it's usually in Florida. Um, You know, that kind of vibe. So the people higher up the pyramid are showing these extreme displays of wealth to then attract, make it more attractive when they're trying to recruit people in because they're basically targeting the average person who's obviously struggling, hence why they're trying to make this bit of money on the side and saying like, you could be like me. And it's like, mm, they probably couldn't know because if these stats are correct, only 1% of people actually make their money back or make any commission. So it's the 1% of that company that this structure is actually working for. And it's usually people who have influence. So we've seen time and time again as well, like people who have a following or like a small level of celebrity joining these MLMs because they have a target audience ready made for them so it's not like your standard stay-at-home mum who's basically just trying to sell to her friends it's like somebody who's been on a reality tv show they have a bunch of followers and they're like oh I've got my market right here ready to sell to and then they're successful because they have people there to sell to um you know they don't need the skills they don't need to build up clientele they've already got followers and they've already got money which is the kind of worst thing about it is because they're the ones that don't really need the structure to work but they're the ones who are able to exploit the structure and the people working below them so the in regards to the people working below them when these successful sort of you know quote-unquote aspirational people are recruiting people in they're then earning more money from the amount of people they're recruiting in because then they're earning commission the money's flowing up so the more people that they have recruited underneath them the more money they'll then be earning the money flows up the people at the bottom suffer so I think I've explained that pretty well if you didn't know about MLMs before (laughs) that was your crash course um So yeah, that's why they are, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure they're illegal in the UK because they are, they're so exploitative and people tend to get in real financial trouble and debt with them and they don't work for the average person. Like they sell you the dream and then it's all a con. Like it really is a con. Um, And there's so many other business structures that work in this way, but they're not necessarily called MLMs. Like for example, a couple of years ago, everybody remembers like the, the trading boom where all of like the finance bros were like learning how to trade and everyone thought you could like get rich quick from doing it um when actually it was people like selling courses to exactly the same sort of clientele as attracts an MLM and it was the same thing like 
the money was flowing up it was basically an mlm structure but by using like education that was totally ungraspable to the average person so it happens in multiple industries over and over and over again but the most prevalent is obviously selling products and it's usually like makeup leggings like avon for example is an mlm quite a successful one because people actually you know could make some sales with that because they were given some tools to do so but most of the time it's like buy your stock and off you go um so that's an mlm and now let's go on to my crazy comparison which i figure is not so crazy because other people are now talking about it between the connection between the way that the influencer market is moving and mlms and what made me think of this let's go back to the very beginning a very good place to start um with zoe haig's video and it was the way that her and molly were talking about um basically the topic of conversation was molly saying how proud she was of zoe for becoming a top seller in a company that they are obviously working for and on retainer with so a little bit of background some companies usually bigger companies larger companies will have an influencer doing like regular sponsored videos or even on retainer like for example molly may will probably be on retainer for plt and she'll have to post like i don't know two things a month or something like that for her retainer right rather than being paid per post because she has a long-term relationship with them so say for example zoe's working with i don't know a makeup company and she's on retainer she has to make one or two videos a month whatever it is for this retainer or if they're if they want to book in like a sponsored post and they pay her project to project but basically they'll have a bunch of influencers working for them and they'll know how they're performing and this is based on direct sales so you'll know if you've listened to me discuss influencers before obviously when influencer marketing first started it was all based on sales so you would basically want an influencer to post a video and then the website would be flooded and you'd get a bunch of sales it no longer works like that um and i do um rois based on the activity and based on the person i'm working with and really based on the budget like if you want that influx of sales you really have to spend big whereas if you're doing like smaller pieces of sponsored content then the roi has to be content creation um you know still really really valuable because i always say to my clients like if we were to produce that content we would have to book a studio book a model like come up with a creative concept film it shoot it edit it which would cost like 10 grand when you're spending what say a thousand pounds on a post right so the roi on that would be content creation and then you share it on your socials and you sort of monetize the content aspect as opposed to your influencer being your sales person so companies will have influencers that they work with regularly larger companies anyway they'll have on retainer or they'll pay a monthly budget whatever it is so Molly's obviously gone into a meeting with a company that they both work for and the company has turned around and said oh Zoe is one of our top sellers and what they mean by that is she's one of their most successful influencer investments so her sponsored posts or her retainer is proving to be the biggest in terms of return on investment so she's making the most sales people are clicking on her links people are using her code to shop which is great because obviously that's what 
you ultimately want when you're working with an influencer and it's really hard to get those results in this sort of day and age that we are in. But it was just the terminology that was used that got me thinking when Molly called Zoe a top seller and that's exactly the terminology that they use in MLMs. The people towards the top of the pyramid are called top sellers and they are obviously the people who number one, sell the most, but number two, recruit the most people. And that's what got me thinking is influencers are very similar to these top sellers and MLMs in the term in in the terms of like they promote this aspirational lifestyle, whether they mean to or not, because they are just showing their lives. But for example, like think how many girls, like average girls are obsessed with Molly May because she seems so normal to the average person but she's like a multi-millionaire lives in a mansion has a new chanel bag every week has this amazing walking wardrobe when you look at her house account like it's all with perfection like she drives a g-wagon you know and it's like the average girl is so aspirational but also seems attainable and i think that's sort of a real characteristic of a top seller is like look at all the stuff that I've got isn't it amazing you can get it too and it's the same message and I'm not saying that Zoe Haig is recruiting people into being influencers I'm not saying that but consciously or subconsciously that's kind of how it's working because now we're sort of you know 10, 15 years into influencer marketing, it's now becoming a thing where the girls don't want to buy the products anymore from their favourite influencer. They want to be the influencer. And because they've been told over these years, it's so easy. I'm just like you. You can do it too. People are like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. So you're getting this influx of people who are now trying to be influencers the bottom of the pyramid and they're buying all this stuff to show on TikTok to do unboxings to do get ready with me's you know they've got all the latest clothes so they can be on trend and they can create aesthetic content they go into certain places for dinner because they can take their pictures and be seen and blah 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 all this stuff they're out of pocket because they're not making any money as an influencer they're an aspiring influencer they're not on retainers with brands they're not getting paid big sponsorships for posts but you've kind of got to put the money in before you can get the money out and isn't that exactly what we just talked about with the bottom level of the pyramid for the MLM you have to buy your $500 worth of leggings before you can sell them get your commission and recruit people underneath you as you move up the pyramid yeah like isn't that uncanny it's the same structure and the money flows up so you know the people who are kind of coming in and you know for example like your Zoe Hagues of the world she is obviously getting paid handsomely for the marketing that she's doing but essentially the people at the top of the brands the brands are earning all this money because yes they're paying their influencers but if they were like shooting this as campaigns, they'd be spending so much more. So really, they're getting such a good deal and you're getting marketing and sales in the same package, which was unheard of. Like go back way back when 
your marketing department and your sales department were always separate. Marketing people were about brand association, brand building, brand voice, you know, all this other stuff that comes with being a brand. They were not direct salespeople. That's what you had sales for. And they almost had a completely different strategy to marketing. It was separate. But using influencer marketing, you're kind of combining the two, which in traditional corporate setting is unheard of. You don't get, like, that would be the equivalent of somebody putting a billboard and saying, okay, how many sales did we get from that, please? (laughs) Like, you don't know, do you? It's impossible to track. But with an influencer, you're saying, um, what was the exact uh, ROI sales percentage, please? And if it's not good, they're like, no, no. You know, like it is, it's kind of crazy when you break it down. Um, But I wanted to break it down because obviously this podcast is all about the behind the scenes of PR, marketing, social media, influencers, all that stuff. And I think learning more about this stuff and changing your angle and your perspective really helps you to understand what you're seeing. Like you can see differently in this world. And I think that's really what I aim to do with this podcast is give people the tools and the knowledge to kind of look at things differently. Whether you are a PR and you apply it or you are an influencer and you apply it. Or if you're just a person who enjoys listening and you're just a consumer, you can look at what you're being sort of fed in this world and figure it out and see it for what it is. Um, So yeah, I just... All of that stemmed from them using the terminology top seller. And I was like, wow, like my mind was really blown. And then a few days later, I was like, no, that's a stupid idea. Like I just made that up in my head. And then literally two days ago, Robert Welsh was posting on his Instagram stories about exactly the same comparison. And I think he was more alluding to the difference between influencers and people who like sell makeup on the shop floor. I think that was a comparison that was being drawn. But I was like, no, I need to talk about this because as much as I don't think, obviously, this influence MLM structure is by any way dangerous. Like, I don't think there's going to be people going into financial ruin because they wanted to be an influencer so bad. I don't know. Maybe they are. But, you know, it's not like oh, somebody wants to work for this makeup company so they have to buy $500 worth of makeup to like enter it. And it's not that, but it kind of is though because if you want to capture the attention of the brand, like you've got to buy the stuff to create the content. Like it's kind of the same. Like it's not as bad, but it is kind of the same. And I think that this structure is forming because we've been going for so long now brands are really learning how to have like a structured approach to influence marketing hence the whole like top seller conversation like that is a a structure within a corporate company now whereas before influencers were like a little thing on the side that nobody knew what to do with or how to measure so brands are sort of getting organized and in result are creating the system and then because we've been having influences for so long and they've all been telling us for so long it's so easy people are coming up there's more influencers coming through there's more people aspiring to be influencers aspiring to be influencers and with platforms like tiktok it's so easy to just be an influencer you know everybody's doing podcasts like it's a very normal thing to do it's just all shifting and changing and I think this entry into content creation where there's like like cattle like so many people coming into this industry the money is flowing up and it's the brands that are benefiting and 
this system is starting to form organically and I don't know whether it's conscious or unconscious from the brand's part I don't think it's conscious to be completely honest with you I think it's just how it's forming and like this terminology is quite coincidental um but super interesting and I really think brands are going to start becoming more organized and therefore the structures are going to become more and more MLM like if that makes sense but yeah I hope you found that interesting um that little exploration of a thought that I'd come to the conclusion of um so yeah do let me know what you think um I'm over on Instagram at the PR department podcast um and also I never say this and also this probably isn't a good time of 32 minutes in but please go and leave a review um so I'm on Apple podcasts um so leave a review if you're listening on there um yeah I would love to hear from you guys because I hear from you every now and then and I think it's those of you who are brave enough to tell me that you do listen which honestly makes my entire day but yeah leave me a comment send me a dm leave a review um I hope you found today's episode interesting I certainly did and I will speak to you on the next one